Brexit means Brexit. An exit from Brexit. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Seamus and Notch is a great idea. Hello and welcome to Debate It, the first of our new run of um, episodes. I'm joined by my co-host, Conrad. Hello there. And with our very special guest, the Member of Parliament for the Orkneys, Liberal Democrat Chief Whip and former Secretary of State for Scotland, Alistair Carmichael. Hello there, how are you doing? Just one (laughs) small correction before we go any further. Nobody in Orkney ever says the Orkneys. Uh, I'm also the member for Shetland, and that's half my constituency, and they would never forgive me if I if I uh, didn't give them equal billing. Oh, well, I, I apologise <laughs> to the people of Shetland for for yeah. making that mistake. Um, so, first of all, I'd like to ask, what do you think the result of the local elections spells for the future? Of British politics, how how do you interpret the results? Well, uh, I mean, I think the uh, primary message is that the Liberal Democrats are back in business. You know, those who have written us off, who said that you know we were too tainted by coalition, or that you know we were never going to be a national party again, they must be feeling just a little bit foolish uh, today. Um, the you know net gain of over seven hundred seats. I've been a political activist since I was 14. I joined the Liberal Party in 1980, and I can honestly say I've never seen anything like that. It is a quite remarkable position to have got back to. Uh, And to be quite honest, I thought it was going to be probably a few more years yet before we would be getting back to this position. So what does it mean in the longer term? Well, um, you're a brave uh, person if you try and predict too far ahead in British politics <laughs> at the moment. But I think I would say that it puts us really for the Remain vote uh, in Britain in absolutely pole position ahead of the 23rd of May. Uh, you know, if you want to make the European elections about Brexit... Um, and, you know, it's difficult in these circumstances to see what else you would really want to make it about, then, you know, a vote for the Liberal Democrats is the obvious thing. Um, And, you know, if you build on from there, um, it's not yet confirmed, but I think it's quite likely that we will have a by-election in Brecon and Radnorshire, where if that happens, then again, we will be in with a very strong shout. We've got a good history there and a very strong candidate in Jane Dodds already selected. So, you know, I think for the first time in quite some time, I could war game a, a sort of progress to the party over the next six months or so that shows us now on a steep and upward trajectory. And, you know, for, for Liberals, that's been a long time coming. It feels good. So, um, obviously, there's been a lot of factors involved in these local election results. Would you say that Brexit will be the main factor, or would you say that sort of local issues or dissatisfaction with the main parties is a big factor, or what would you say was the main thing? Well, uh, it can be all of the above, can't it? Local elections inevitably are about local issues. 
And, you know, and there are some places where you look at a particular result and you think, well, why did that happen? And you find that there is some big local issue that the council has done badly, and that explains it. I think, overall, the mismanagement of Brexit as an issue um, by both the Conservatives and the Labour Party did present for us a particularly benign uh, environment. And, you know, it's always the case that when politics becomes polarised, then the people in the middle tend to get squeezed out. Now, Brexit, possibly uniquely in my time in politics, but certainly highly unusually, um, doesn't have us getting squeezed out in the middle because we are on one side very clearly in that debate and we're on the side of Remain. So, you know, when that issue becomes the dominant political one, then, you know, we're in a strong position and we're in a, a position to present ourselves to those who want to remain as being the party of Remain. That's what we've been doing for some time now. And that's, I think, what uh, provided the, the general environment in which we could prosper. It was, though I have to say, an awful lot of hard work by local campaigners and local councillors in particular up and down the country that actually brought home the bacon at the end of the day. You know, in all my time in politics, uh, I have never known uh, a time where you would say it was easy to win an election as a Liberal Democrat. We've always had to work so much harder than everybody else. Um, so would you say that um, the success in places like Sunderland, which is a, obviously a yeah. traditional uh, Labour heartland, marks a change in sort of um, uh, public perception of the Liberal Democrats, that you're not simply like a, a metropolitan party that can only win in particular places, but you can win in Leave voting areas as well? Well, I mean, the question about metropolitan... Uh, is an interesting one. You know, uh, I represent a constituency that's closer to Oslo than it is to London. So I'm challenging yeah, yeah. the idea that, you know, somehow or another to be a Liberal Democrat is to be part of some uh, metropolitan elite. Um, but it is the case that we know that Sunderland was a very strongly leave voting area. Um, and we also know that the success of the Liberal Democrats in Sunderland, it's still a work in progress, but it's not been overnight. They've been working really hard in that area for, for a long time now. Um, in terms of how it's, you know, how we're seen and how the, the public perceive us, um, I think there's lessons for the rest of the party uh, out there, uh, out of Sunderland rather, and it is that, frankly, you know, we've, uh, we've got to get out from underneath the, the stairs. You know, the, the, there are issues at play in, in politics at the moment that are too important for us to be diffident or apologetic about. So, you know, uh, and the lesson I take from Sunderland is that in a political environment that you might think looking at it, traditional Labour heartland, heavily leave voting, would not be an obvious place for us to be uh, successful. If you get out there, you get in the doorsteps, you talk to people about the things that matter to them and not just about the things that matter to us, then success will follow. And, you know, look, the other thing 
which is difficult to quantify, but which we can't discount completely, is that as far as Brexit is concerned, when they are when people are engaged with Liberal Democrats on the ground in their in their communities, it's just possible that some of them have started to change their mind. And, you know, don't discount the possibility that what you saw, if not in Sunderland, then in places like it, where you had a Liberal Democrat revival, despite the fact that it was not, as you would term it, the sort of metropolitan areas, that, you know, that the real reason for that is that, yeah, now that people see the truth of what they were offered, that they are changing their mind. Hmm. Well, um, could you not also say, though, that, um, I mean, I, as a Brexit supporter, I might um, challenge the idea that there's been a big change in minds. Could you not also say that um, if you, you've also, we also saw a big gain in independent councillors at the same time, and it is that in some of those areas there's more of a backlash against sort of mishandling, and people are voting Lib Dem not necessarily on, like, because they, they want to stop Brexit. I'm sure some people are voting because they want to stop Brexit, but there's also just, just a vote, just a protest, as we've seen before. Well, what I would say to that is, yeah, you know, I, I uh, don't buy this idea that somehow or another a protest vote is there to be dismissed. Look at the mess the country is in at the moment. There's no shortage of things to be protesting about. And, <laughs> you know, if, we're, if people feel that they can protest about that, by voting Liberal Democrat, then yeah, I'm you know I think that's got to be a good thing for us as a party. Liberal Democrats, Liberals should always be on the outside of the establishment, challenging it. We should never be seen as a as a safe or as an easy option somehow that's you know as part of of the establishment. And you know maybe in recent years we have a sort of forgotten that a little bit. In terms. Then of, uh, you know, the, the rise of, of independence, which was also quite marked. Um, I don't know, I have a sneaking suspicion, and it's no more than this because I've not crunched the numbers or anything like it. Um, but I suspect that the rise of independence was possibly people who were previously UKIP, but they were UKIP because that was a way of poking the establishment rather than necessarily that they were pro-Brexit. Um, and UKIP having imploded so spectacularly uh, in recent uh, months and years, there's, these people don't feel it's, it's any longer a natural home for themselves. Uh, what I do know is that all these different factors are at play. The situation is really confused. But the one thing that's perfectly clear is that politics is changing in a way that the political system is going to have to catch up with. You know, for as long as I've been involved in politics, you've had two behemoth influences, the Conservative Party and the Labour Party. And they were broadly coalitions of people who believed in similar things without agreeing on everything and were prepared to compromise and muddle through because they wanted things to go in the same general direction. That model of a political party has now broken down. Uh, you see the ERG within the Conservative Party um, effectively organising as a party within a party. ERG MPs don't look to the Conservative Chief Whip for their voting instructions, they look to Jacob B. Smog and his friends. 
Um, and likewise, you've seen people break away from the Labour Party and also now Tom Watson talking about organising within the Labour Party for those who you would have seen previously as, as fairly moderate same, uh, mainstream uh, people in Labour. So these big structures are breaking down and the political system is going to have to find a way of working out how you can accommodate these range of views without corralling people anymore into two big parties. And for us, again, as Liberals and as Liberal Democrats, that's a tremendous opportunity. And that's the one that we've really got to seize this time. Um, do you think that this sort of um, desire for change, uh, particularly in reference to uh, your own um, constituency, the, uh, the people there, do you think that change is something that necessarily uh, can be for the better? Because, I mean, uh, you, you obviously you're arguing, uh, and the Liberal Democrats are arguing, that Brexit, which is change, isn't for the better. Do you, do you think that there is perhaps uh, some sort of, like, balance that could be accommodated between a complete and utter change of the British political landscape and the status quo? Look, I, I came into politics as a 14-year-old, and I've stayed in it my whole adult life because I wanted to change things. Because, you know, the uh, the, the lack of opportunity for, for people or the imbalance of opportunity, the inequality, inequality of opportunity, um, depending on, on your background, and, you know, the income of your parents, where you live in the country, where you live in the world, um, you know, these are things that still genuinely offend me and I think we absolutely have to change. So, yeah, you know, look, um, if you want to be resistant to change, then there's a party called the Conservative Party which <laughs> has that label stuck on it. Um, the Labour Party, I have to say, as somebody who lived for many years in West Central Scotland, also can be with a very small C Conservative. You know, they, they always have to be brought kicking and screaming in terms of, of change. But look, change is inevitable. Um, and it's up to us as politicians and as a country then to decide whether we're going to make that change good or bad. Now, I think, as you know, it's no great secret, Brexit is a bad change. And it's a bad change because it, it puts our prosperity at risk and it diminishes our standing in the world stage. I think that Britain is based when it stands up for liberal values and when it takes its place on the world stage. We are a member, a permanent member of the United Nations Security Council. You know, we, we can hold the pain in all sorts of different uh, arenas in a way that people respect. And one of the things that worries me about Brexit beyond the immediate is I think people look at what we're doing in other parts of the world and they shake their head with bewilderment and say, you know, what is happening to Britain? You never used to be like this. So, you know, um, to, I think it's a little bit glib to talk about change, you know, as if it's, it, it's, um, it, it's just one sort of monolith. Um, it really is up to us all to, uh, to, to to determine what shape that change is going to take and where it's going to take us. Because, you know, 
we live in a globalised world, a world with a globalised economy. And you can't pretend that that hasn't happened. You can't pretend that that has changed the way we do politics. And even if it was something that you could unpick economically, technology has given us a whole world of a social globalisation that means that you're never going to put this genie back in the bottle. It's one of the great paradoxes of modern life that um, national boundaries seem to matter less than ever in terms of how people, money, goods, services, capital move around the world. But for some reason, we seem to attach as, as, you know, as part of the, the developed world uh, a much greater importance to the, the, the maintenance of these national boundaries. And, you know, I just, as a liberal, I'm an internationalist. My instinct is to want to reach out to people who share the same challenges and opportunities as we have in different parts of the world and work together with them, not instead to, to sort of draw a line in a map, pull up the drawbridge and pretend that they're not there. Well, um, so you want to sort of, you're saying about how you want to sort of take the mantle of change and positive change, but the Liberal Democrats, especially in the EU elections coming up, have sort of competition with that. There's another party, Change UK, the independent group, or the Tiggers, who, 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 have, who, have, who have sort of come up and said they want to sort of, sort of take that sort of same kind of space in politics. Um, how do you think the Lib Dems can work with slash defeat them in, in, in the upcoming elections and in the future? Right, well, look, I mean, I think you have to sort of... a uh, take the immediate and then the medium to longer term and, and treat them differently. Um, I very much wish it had been possible to find some way of working with Change UK uh, and, if possible, with the Greens um, at uh, in the European elections. It all came a bit last minute and, you know, um, I, I don't think there's any point in, in sort of getting too obsessive about that. Um, we are now all going to have to go out there and make our pitch to the voters and let the voters decide. Um, you know, and I think from that point of view, as I've said already, the Liberal Democrats are in pole position in that debate because we've established the, uh, the standing that we have uh, as the party of Remain as a consequence of, of the local elections. But look, we're going to have to find a way where in that debate between now and May the 23rd, we, for, you know, we put aside the fact that we could maybe have done this differently if we'd, if we'd had the chance to, or if we'd, we'd had the political will to. And instead, I want for the next uh, few weeks to be talking about Nigel Farage and the Brexit party. I want to be talking about Boris Johnson and Michael Gove and Dominic Raab uh, and, you know, the, the, the way in which they over-promised and under-delivered in the, in the Brexit debate. And, you know, I think, I know who my opponents are, but I'm not going to let my opponents get in the way of identifying and tackling the enemy. And the enemy, in the political sense of the term here, are the Brexiteers. It's the Nigel Farage's and the Boris Johnson's, not Churchill Amuna or Caroline Lucas. Well, I'm, 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 I'm looking at the polls. I'm sure we will be talking a lot about Nigel Farage for, for a good few good few months yet. But, um... Yeah. um 
So do you, do you think that um, the Brexit party, if they do have a strong showing in the EU elections, that that will sort of spur the government on to go on a more hardline Brexit view? Or do you think that the, the Lib Dems can counter this with, with a strong showing of their own? Well, look, I, I think um, that, you know, for, for people who want and who care about uh, to remaining, then yes, I think it's important that they do go out there and that they do coalesce around the party that you know we will see as as being the strongest pro-remain option. And you know, I that's why you know I would say we we in the Liberal Democrats are now well positioned for that. At the other end of the extreme, uh, you've got the Brexit Party, who will very obviously, because it's a much less confused political picture at that end of the spectrum, be uh, out to corral the Brexit vote. Um, I think, you know, it, it will be for Theresa May and indeed for Jeremy Corbyn to respond to whatever the, the voters then come up with. Because, frankly, at the moment, Jeremy Corbyn, Theresa May are both in competition with Nigel Farage uh, for, for the same vote, the same Brexit vote. You heard Barry Gardner say it on television the other night, the, the Labour international trade uh, spokesperson, saying, you know, for goodness sake, Tories, we're trying to bail you out. We're doing our best to help you deliver Brexit here. Well, you know, a lot of people in 2017 voted uh, Labour because they thought that Labour was a, a, a progressive and... Uh, anti-Brexit force. I think, you know, they must be reconsidering their position at the moment. And these are the people that I think we as in the Liberal Democrats in this election should be pitching to. When it looks to the future then, you know, when we're back to a first-past-the-post election in the House of Commons over 650 constituencies, yeah, I think, you know, we have to find a way to uh, work alongside the Change UK independent group um, and, you know, otherwise we just end up, each of us slitting each other's throats. It makes no sense to anyone. What I would say, though, is that we've seen how this can be made to work in modern politics already, and that is in areas like Twickenham, Richmond, Oxford, Brighton, Liberal Democrats and Greens have been able to work out local accommodations with each other. And I think that really is the way to, to make this work. It's got to be something that is built from the community level that can then go upwards. I don't want to go back to politics that I knew in the 1980s when I was first politically active, which was a centralised carver for the country. And, uh, you know, that was very much a top-down process for, for politics, which I just, you know, even then and certainly now, would not think was sensible or could feel comfortable with. Uh, well, um, obviously, with Brexit, you have um, quite a um, difficult uh, issue to deal with. But, of course, you had a similar uh, difficult issue to deal with when you were uh, Secretary of State for Scotland. How um, do you did you feel when you were uh, in that position regarding 
um, the campaign by the SNP and other people uh, for independence, did you feel that it was perhaps a bit what they were advocating for an independent Scotland was a bit disingenuous, or do you think that they were just mistaken? Well, look, it was a thoroughly unpleasant time to uh, be involved in Scottish politics. It was visceral, it was highly polarised, it split families, communities, friendships, workplaces, um, and, you know, that is still the case to this day. You know, I still occasionally find myself thinking, oh, yeah, I'd love to go there. And then you think, oh, no, wait a minute, such and such will be there, and it'll just go back to independence, and frankly, it's not worth the hassle. So, you know, um, it, it is referendums in this way um, and on this sort of identity-based issue, a national identity-based issue, are deeply divisive exercises. And uh, the, the thing that strikes me very strongly, now coming through the second of these referendum processes, is the similarity in the arguments that are advanced for Scottish independence as for Brexit. Because, you know, it is it, it comes back to what I said earlier about the, uh, the, the way that although we live in this big globalised economy and, and, you know, everything has changed as a result of, of some of the, the, the social interaction through technology, um, we still seem to think that, you know, the, the, the side of a line that we live on matters disproportionately. If you think about it, for Alexander Nicola Sturgeon to say, as they do, we just want independence for Scotland because we think that decisions about Scotland should be taken in Scotland. That is essentially the same argument as Nigel Farage and Boris Johnson saying people in Brussels should not be taking decisions about people in Britain. We want to take back control. And that, in turn, is just, we find that across the whole developed world at the moment. It's Donald Trump in America saying, we're going to make America great again. We're, you know, I'll make all these deals and they'll put America first. And you find the same argument um, sort of advanced in different parts of uh, the developed world. Nationalism has become uh, the sort of political zeitgeist of the, this decade. Um, and you know, they're not all singing from exactly the same hymn sheet. So, you know, if you look at it from an ideological perspective, yeah, of course, Nicholas Sturgeon is a very different politician from Nigel Farage, but they both start from the same initial premise, and that is that problems can be solved by drawing a line at the map and ignoring the people on the other side of the map, of that line. And that, you know, to me as a liberal is, is a total anathema. I, you know, yeah, we spoke a lot about social justice and, and uh, social mobility in uh, 2014 because, you know, there's a lot of problems in different parts of Scotland and places like Glasgow and, and Dundee uh, with desperate levels of poverty. But, you know, these are the same problems that you share with people in Newcastle and Liverpool and Birmingham and Cardiff and Belfast. And one of the reasons why, almost as a gut reaction, I just was never going to be in favour of, of in Scottish independence, was it would have involved me turning my back and walking away from these people. 
And, you know, uh, it doesn't matter what accent you speak with. Uh, if your problems are poverty and inequality, then you should be able to make common cause uh, across the different communities. And that's why, you know, my, uh, my, my views on independence, if anything, have hardened over the years. So you make the parallel between the Scottish independence and um, Brexit debates, and, and I think there is a lot of parallels to be made, especially with the whole um, Project Fear, which was the, which was originally coined by the 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 Yes campaign in Scotland, and was also used by the Leave campaign, um, and and obviously the Lib Dems have had sort of strong campaigns against independence and and against Brexit as well. Um, do you think there's any room in the Liberal Democrats for someone who supported Leave and still supports Leave, or would you say that someone, someone like that, even if, 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 let's say it was for like more, it was more of an, they want like a Norway option or an EA option? Because I've, because I, I know, I know people who who did vote Liberal Democrat in the past and have supported Leave. Would you yep. say that there's no room for someone like that? No, as a Liberal Party, we've always got to be tolerant of minority views. Um, I would argue very strongly with people who are pro-Brexit or pro-Scottish independence or whatever um, within our uh, liberal family that they are wrong. And, you know, that, that's a, it's a very much a minority view on both sides. But, uh, I, you know, I've been a minority view often enough myself, so I think it's important that you respect uh, minority views. That's a big part of what uh, what being a liberal is about, um, but ultimately the party has a position. I think it's pretty clear what the party's position is, and uh, you know, yeah, by all means, uh, be, be tolerant of the full range of views. And if people feel that they can stick with the party and uh, despite being in a minority, then good for them and I will defend their right to be part of a minority if they so choose. Oh, well, um, I, th I think that was quite a, a comprehensive response. Uh, finally, <laughs> uh, finally, I'd, uh, I'd like to ask, um, if you were stranded on a desert island, what one essential item would you want to have with you? One essential item? Yes, one essential item. Now, that's an interesting one. When they do this in Desert Island Discs, um, they, uh, they always ask, what luxury item do you want? Yeah. One thing could you really not do without it? I mean, to be honest, I'm like everybody else these days. I'm glued to my phone. Um, it's never more than a minute away from me at any given moment in time. <laughs> Probably the rest of my family would say that it would be quite a good thing for me and them. <laughs> if I was to be removed from it. Um, so, I mean, what, I, not a desert island, but I live on an island. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think probably, yeah, um, if I'm allowed to, uh, it would be something that would keep me in contact with the rest of the outside world. Because, you know, um, uh, all my life in politics, I've always wanted to know what was going on elsewhere in the world, and um, that you know that that's been very important to me. Um, so I think that would probably be the whatever it was going to be. If it was going to be a, a phone or some sort of 
you know, a device that would keep me uh, at least knowing what other people were saying, even if I couldn't yeah. tell them what I was thinking, because with that you, you risk cheating and then you, you <laughs> think, rescue me. Um, I think that would probably be the thing that would be most important. Um, if it wasn't, if that's not allowed... No, 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 that's perfectly yeah. allowed if you... If you... <laughs> I was going to say, I think if it, if it wasn't, then I would want something that would remind me uh, of home and, you know, remind me of my family and yeah. all the rest of it. Um, and that can come in many shapes and forms. Um, I think probably the alternative to something, and, you know, if you know what's going on in the world at the moment, yeah. then uh, I think the other essential thing to have is a decent bottle of malt whiskey somewhere around. So, <laughs> yeah, a, a good peaty malt whiskey that would remind me of home and to remind me of my family here. I think that would be the, the alternative to some means of connectivity. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Alistair. It's been a pleasure to, um, to have a discussion about the, all the issues going on in politics, and it'd be great to have you on again at some point, maybe, you know, in the future. Absolutely. I never get tired of talking about politics. No yeah, that, that's why we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Either way. At this particular moment in time, I've enjoyed the chat.